Welcome to this episode of the Momentum Podcast. My name is Stephen Borden. I'm your host. I want to get right to this interview because for one, I'm not a big fan of long intros, but for two, I'm just excited about this one. I think this is someone that if you're listening, you can get a lot of practical value from. Uh, But before I get to the interview, I just want to give a bit of context or lay a bit of groundwork for who this person is, why I'm interviewing them. Because if you guys listen to my intro recording, kind of just describing what this podcast even is, you'll know, and I hope I pressed enough on this issue that I don't just want to interview anyone for the sake of interviewing. I really am actively trying to seek out people that I think can actually deliver real substance uh, for you if you're listening. So quick background on Eric Corum. For most of you that know me, you know that I played football at University of Kentucky, finished up there in 2015, uh, but I was brought there, recruited there by Coach Mark Stoops in 2013. And Coach Stoops brought in an entire new staff in 2013 when he came in. And part of that staff that he brought in was a high-performance staff, which at the time, you know, now that word's kind of commonplace in pro football, college football, elite sports across the board. But at the time, this was, believe it or not, a newer kind of field. Um, Eric Corum was brought on to head up our high performance department. So if you follow the sports science or strength conditioning kind of world, you're undoubtedly familiar with the name Eric Corum. But for most of you listening, it's the sports science or strength conditioning community is pretty niche. So I wouldn't expect you to know the name Eric Corum, at least yet. But for the simple breakdown, high performance is really just trying to address the holistic view of what happens with an athlete. So for a long time, and still even to this day in a lot of programs, there's a huge disconnect between what happens in the weight room and then what happens with the players for the rest of their 22 hours of the day. And we know that things like sleep, nutrition, other lifestyle factors play a huge role in how an athlete's able to develop and perform. So this high-performance model sort of got thrust into the spotlight back in 2013, and Eric Corum played a huge role in that. Um, so everything from you know the type of food that we were eating, um, they, they monitored our sleep. We used different technologies that now are kind of, again, commonplace. Pretty much every NCAA and pro team uses these, you know, GPS tracking technologies and things like Omega Wave that kind of take a look at your readiness level. Um, But at the time, we were the only college, to my knowledge, the only university actually implementing some of this stuff. And that was due to what Coach Corum was implementing. Um, So this is someone with a tremendous amount of experience optimizing human performance for elite athletes. But I think it's easy for us to kind of lump in this high performance model as something that should be reserved for elite athletes that we watch play on Sundays, when in reality, it's just as important for you know your average Joe who's doesn't have a career in pro sports, but you know is trying to excel in life to pay attention to a lot of these lifestyle factors. No, you don't need to train to the extreme level with and specificity of 
you know, someone trying to prepare for an NFL combine. But I think if, if your average human being paid as much attention and, you know, gave enough merit to how he or she treated their body, I think we'd be in a lot better shape and people would be in a lot better positions to succeed in business or in whatever else you're trying to accomplish in life, even down to just being a better friend or spouse. So that's kind of the first part of why I wanted to interview Coach Corum, because uh, I think he really does have a lot of value to bring in that department, just practical deliverables for what you can do to start increasing your health, but also improving your performance and just feeling better. If you feel good when you wake up in the morning and you feel energized and focused, there's a much better chance that you're actually going to take care of business and do what you need to do. The second part of you know what actually really prompted me to reach out to Coach Corum is he's had the same career for a long time now. He's worked at University of Kentucky, and you'll see when we get into this interview, after Kentucky, he was at the Houston Texans and, you know, he was in high performance before Kentucky. So he's been kind of in the same career field, but he is recently within the past year started to develop a personal brand. And I think this is something that a lot of people to some degree want to do or aspire to do. And Quorum has launched a successful podcast. Um, He's consistently pushing out really, really good content interviewing great guests. Um, so I've been intrigued just kind of watching all of this unfold for Coach Corum from kind of the outside perspective, watching him step into uncharted territory and undoubtedly out of what would be many people's comfort zones. And I know that there's probably a lot of people, maybe even some listening that aspire to build some sort of personal brand, whether you're a real estate agent and you know that that's going to help you sell more homes or, you know, personal trainer or whatever it is. Um, I I think it's no secret in 2020 that having a personal brand can be beneficial in a lot of ways. And watching Corum, who's kind of been in the same career path for a long time, completely extend another arm of what he's doing and do it successfully and consistently, which I think is rare to see. I think that getting kind of into his inner psyche of what what triggered him to make that step and then what is allowing him to stay consistent, I think is going to be really valuable for you listening if that is something that you want to do. And then lastly, it was cool for me to just kind of come full circle and reconnect with Coach Corum. We've obviously known each other for seven years now, but it's been quite some time since we've caught up. I really hope you enjoy this interview. I did my best to ask the questions that I think if I was listening uh, from an outside perspective, I would want asked because I really am doing this for whoever's listening. And maybe that's only seven and a half people right now. Um, But, you know, if I'm just speaking and bringing on speakers that aren't improving the life of whoever's listening, then I'm not doing my job or what I'm setting out to do. So I hope you enjoy this interview. And now that we're at a seven minute intro here, let's get started. Yeah. So I want, this is cool for me one to catch up with you because it's been somehow five years since the Kentucky days. Um, It's been five years. Let's see. Yeah, you're right. 
I mean, technically seven years since I first came on 2013, mm. like the, the early days, but, um, yeah, <laughs> but I like what you're up to now is super interesting to me, but I like, I want to give like the brief background on where you came from. Cause that's some good context for, I think what you're doing now. Cool. All right. Um, yeah. So I was a walk-on football player at Texas A&M back in 1999. It's hard to believe. And uh, as a walk-on, <clears throat> you understand that, like, there's a difference between walk-ons and everybody else, right? And uh, at that time especially, we were loaded with NFL talent. I think we had nine guys in the class that I came with got drafted. So it was, like, ridiculous. A lot of those guys won Super Bowl rings. So I quickly realized there's a difference between me and them. And I wanted to do something to get myself on the field somehow. So I was a biomedical science major, but we had this physiology lab literally attached to the weight room. And so I was fascinated by what was going on. And I found out that there was a science to training. That's kind of where it started. Uh, in grad school, I went to University of Arkansas, got a master's in physiology, and I started working with elite track and field sprinters. And I had an opportunity to literally travel the world with an eight-time Olympic medalist, three-time gold medalist, Veronica Campbell-Brown. And I got to work with Tyson Gay and a bunch of other just amazing people. I was, it was a stroke of luck. And um, I started seeing how the rest of the world was training athletes and that we weren't training them, in my opinion, in a way that was optimizing their ability. Because in America, we have this amazing problem. We have tons of amazing athletes. And so it's never been this thing that's been on our minds of how do we optimize our human capital. And so I, I went down this journey. Fast forward to 2010, I was at Florida State. We had just taken over for legendary coach Bobby Bowden. And uh, there's a lot of pressure. And our first year was really good. And I was the speed coach and nutrition coordinator. And then I got promoted to director of football operations, which I had no, like, you know, it's the huge, it's going, I mean, that's a massive leap. And I asked coach Fisher, can I be called the director of sports science at that time? Nobody else had that title. And he said, sure, you can call yourself whatever you want. And so here I am, I'm leading this entire organization under the direction of coach Fisher. I'm learning football in a way that I've never learned it before sitting in with the meetings all day with the coaches doing camps. And so I had an opportunity to travel to Australia for a month and I embedded myself with an Australian rules football team. And that's where I learned about athlete tracking technology, brought that back to the United States. And it really revolutionized the game of football. Um, so we went with the second year, we didn't have a great year. We tracked that season. We were able to figure out areas that we could improve. We had a very talented roster. That next year, we dropped our injury rate 88%. And uh, we ended up with the same exact roster winning the ACC championship. Then I ended up in Kentucky and was had the opportunity to be the first high-performance director in college football. Great experience. Uh, very difficult situation to come into. It was kind of like I was at Florida – sorry, I was at Mississippi State with Sylvester Croom when he turned that around. And it was a very similar situation, but um, we didn't have as much talent. We didn't have much talent at all. Talent's going to be the number one thing you have to get. And uh, we were selling people on a, a vision, an idea 
and of turning this Kentucky program around, which you were part of that. So went on to be the director of sports science at the Houston Texans, had that amazing opportunity to go back home where I'm from, uh, had a new GM come in, everybody got canned. <laughs> so I ended up uh, coming to William and Mary and uh, becoming the senior associate athletic director for high performance. So was given an opportunity for an entire athletic department to build a high performance department, but something really cool happened while I was here. Um, I was selected as a presidential leadership scholar. So uh, it's, it was developed about five years ago by the presidential centers of Bill Clinton, George H. Bush, George W. Bush and LBJ, Lyndon B. Johnson. And uh, for about six to seven months, I had the opportunity to get trained by the former presidents themselves and their administrations on leadership, scaling an idea, and it just totally changed my life. And, um, and so since then, I've been trying to share this idea to a much broader audience and with a new, fresh perspective. And I'm, maybe that's what you're referring to. So yeah. That's the long and the short of it. Yeah, because from from my perspective, I've I've watched or paid attention. I've known, you know, seen you as a director of performance, and then started seeing posts from you start to pop up. Um, and it, I mean, it's clear when someone's posting not just a picture of their family or you know an update, but like w intentional, consistent posting. And I started to notice that, and was wondering where that's coming from and what your goal is and how, because I think there's probably a lot of people that want that plan to do something in the personal branding space. Mm. want to start a podcast. They want it, but there's everything in the world to do and nothing you have to do. So like getting started is a big deal yeah. and staying consistent is a bigger deal. And so what was the, like, what was the impetus for you getting started and then, how are you staying consistent? Yeah, that's a great question. It started with the PLS program. And I started thinking about what could I do? How could I help more people? Um, because this con, I'll be honest, I am trying to reclaim the word high performance because it has been totally messed up in the, um, in the, in the outside of sports. People think high performance is just motivation, right? And it's not. As a matter of fact, Professor B.J. Fogg at Stanford University talks about behavior design. And motivation is one thing that you cannot count on. It's high and it's low. So you have to change your actions based on your motivation. So anybody that says that motivation is high performance doesn't know science. And so I started learning, you know, when COVID happened, I'm like, okay, what skills am I going to pick up? What am I going to learn? And I've had a bunch of things leading up to this point. So I started taking a deep dive on Instagram, uh, social media. Uh, there's a guy named Dane Walker, who I found in Australia, who's a creative designer. And I was just mesmerized by his posting. He's using something called a carousel post to teach. Chris Doe is one of the um, progenitors of this idea of using carousels. So I started learning this. I'm like, you know what? I bet I could teach people high performance using carousels. So I started doing it myself. I, and here's the crazy thing. One night I told my wife, I, I just made something literally like 30 minutes. And um, I said, I told my wife, I was like, I think this is going to strike a nerve with people. 
and this was back in April, maybe. And uh, it was about how to climb the ladder. Because what I had seen was, there's a lot of people that were really smart, really intelligent, and they were frustrated because they weren't able to achieve their goals. And so I talked about four things. You need a brand, you need a plan or a strategy, you need to have a platform, and you have to have expertise. And right now, expertise is totally lost. People, whoever shouts the loudest on the internet is the one that's getting the, uh, getting the most views and you know, likes and stuff like that, but it doesn't mean you actually know what you're doing. And so I, I put this out there and it just blew up. For me, it was like 280 likes in one day. And I was like, holy cow, there's something here, people. I had a pain point. And if you know anything about a startup, you have to actually solve a pain point. And so that's what, that's when I started digging into this. And it was so fun because here we are in COVID. Uh, there's so much uncertainty. And I was able to start engaging and helping people. I mean, the DMs I was getting were just amazing. People opening up, asking for help. And so I got started. It wasn't easy. Um, and we just kept pushing. You know what I'm saying? I just kept kept pushing. And, um, and then I got a little more sophisticated with the Photoshop and design. And now we're starting to put out video content. And it's just really cool to grow a tribe of people that actually want to be high performers and are hungry to understand what that really means. Did you overthink it at all before you started? Like, were you wondering what you should post, how you should post it? Or was, did you just make that first post and watch how it went and go from there? I actually took a course. I was doing it at night. Uh, put the kids down to bed and I purchased an internet, uh, a course from Dane. And, um, I started learning about it. I wanted to educate myself. Like what, what makes a great bio? How do you connect with people? And then I started kind of going down this rabbit hole, started reading books on branding. Um, and I didn't overthink it too much. You know, I just got to, you know, one of the things he's talked about is you just got to get it out there. So I read this book, show your work and fantastic book for anybody that's scared to share how they feel like just learn in front of the rest of the world. And, um, so that's what I started doing. I just started sharing what was on my mind and I would just keep notes. Like I'd be working, doing my job during the day or I'd be doing something and all of a sudden something popped in my head. I just take a note on my phone and it just started this huge list. And before I knew it, I had all these posts and then, you know, I would batch it on Saturday. I would sit down and just create all this content. And then that way during the week, I'm not worried about it. And I just, you know, it takes what, five minutes to put up a post and see what happens. And it's just been growing and across my different platforms now, LinkedIn, it's very interesting what they respond to, uh, what Twitter, uh, you know, Instagram's very visually driven. And so you really have to kind of think about that, but it's really cool to help people. Yeah. I mean, that, I feel like I've seen you sort of evolve in your posts and your, even your consistency it's it's often that you see people drop off like they'll start to post and maybe not get the recognition or following that they want and start to drop off immediately and i'm watching you sort of just stick with it like but what are the what are the short-term feedbacks that you're getting that are either keeping you going or 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 the short-term behavior that you have in your it's like keeping you just chugging along despite where you want to go. 
Well, I have the, I always, I've always had the underdog mentality and I, you know, walk on mentality. I didn't play till my fourth year and I just got the crap beat out of me. And so I don't know if I'm just stupid, but I just keep going. And, um, I know that there's a long, long game on this whole thing and it doesn't happen overnight. Um, but it was interesting. Like I totally lost track of Twitter and I look over there, I got like 5,000 people following me. I'm like, okay, I need to, I need to engage with them. And then LinkedIn, I was like, okay, what's going to engage with them. And, and then it's just, it's just growing, you know, but some weeks it's just, you know, I don't know about the algorithm. I think it's, you know, but some weeks it's just, you're, you're hot, man. I mean, you get 250 <laughs> likes or 250 followers and some weeks it's like 75. You're like, what did I do wrong? I'll tell you what it also does is it teaches you to put your focus on other people and what connecting with them and not yourself. Uh, because if it's about you, people will see right through that. But if you're actually serving them, if you're responding to them, if you're responding to the DMS, um, it's just, it's created a whole other community that I didn't have before. Um, and then the whole podcast thing, I love conversation. And so I just thought, you know, that's been something that's been on my mind for a long time. So I started that and it's been amazing. It's doubling and people that are downloading it every week. That's amazing. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just been, I was like, who would I want to hear from? So I came out right out the gate with Brian Decker, who's a former commander of selection assessment for special forces. And he and I have been friends since, remember Horizon in Kentucky? Who is this? Remember Horizon Performance or, or Jason Cummins? Yes. Yeah. So that whole thing came about because of a conversation Jason and I had when he was still with the Army ROTC. I brought it to Coach Stoops. Coach Stoops was like, man, this is a cool idea. So I was going out to North Carolina to do work with Horizon to kind of set the stage. And they brought Brian in to meet me. And we fostered this really deep relationship and started doing work together. And we're very close friends to, to today. And that was the first podcast he's ever done. Jeez. And he's had a lot of opportunities. And so it was really, really cool. I don't know if you've listened to it, but I've listened to it myself three or four times because he's just, he needs to write a book. So what's the goal? Like what, what's the, the, the I, I mean, I guess you could say end game, but what's, what's the plan with what you're doing? To serve the snot out of people. Yeah. And then eventually there'll be a product down the line yeah somewhere but um right now i just want to serve the heck out of people and create this massive tribe uh i'm i probably will come out with like a a little ebook that people can get for free yeah and uh start kind of like a an email list and just start writing more in-depth stuff yeah. to engage with them and give them a little more content that you can put in a post but uh right now i just want to build a tribe and and just serve them and really that's that's it and yeah. um, see where that leads. But, you know, Gary V. long time ago, I started listening to this guy and he's like, I read his, I read a book. Actually, I listened to one of his pod. No, I listened to the ebook or the audio version of one of his books when I was driving to Virginia. And I was like, what's the big deal about this guy? I got 20 something hours in a car. I'm going to listen. And um, he said, just try not to monetize anything for as yeah. long as you can. And it's been funny because I have these people reaching out to me now asking me, would you wear a watch and we'll pay you? And I'm like, you want me to, 
you want me, and somebody else asked about clothing i'm like are you I sure want, you want me to be a model <laughs> i want to see an eric quorum skinny t post there you go in the next week a schmedium like you know like anyways <laughs> no it's not me but um it is interesting when people watch your velocity of engagement and how things are moving up they'll start reaching out to that's how Instagram works. That's, that's why influencers, it's, they're the new athletes of the era. So, you know, people are like, well, I don't, I don't like how influencers are making all this money. They're just like celebrities. It's people are using celebrities forever to sell their products. Yep. There's nothing wrong with it. You just reminded me what I was thinking of earlier. So you started, you started talking about, you know, I think this conversation with Brian Decker will, you know, the conversations that I'm going to have with people will help people. Mm -hmm. Um, and you, then when I asked what your goal is, it was to serve people. And it's funny because for me, I've had tossed around so many different ideas on doing a podcast, debated it for a long time. And I'm, you know, nutrition, I like nutrition, but I don't really want a nutrition podcast and back and forth and back and forth performance and, you know, business and literally what finally got me to just start was going, okay, what will help people? Cause that's like my sole focus has been like, I know people that can help people. So like, I'm just going to talk to them. And the more people I talk to that can help people, the better chance that greater orders of magnitude of people will be helped. And so like that's you, you came across my mind, like, I'm just going to shoot Cormatex and like, let's get something going, you know? Yeah. Cause I think like your high performance background it's getting, it's, it's really tough to separate physiology and then, you know, your physical well being with life and like succeeding at the things that you want to do. Mm -hmm. And so I've actually been curious to, to, I want to ask you like really like practical things that people can do like off the get things. If you had to if, sit down with someone and say like, you know, what are some things that I can do right now to start you know, in making me feel better, making me perform better during the day. Yeah. You know where I'm going with this right now. I know. So right off the bat, I would say sleep. So I, yes. I when I, um, when I got my doctoral degree, I, I thought, okay, I want to learn something that somebody can really apply to their life. And so I said, okay, what are things you can't live without? You can't live without water. You can't live without food and you can't live without sleep. So I'm going to learn about sleep. Okay. And as I started going down the rabbit hole of sleep, I'm like, holy cow, this is like the panacea right here. Like God hardwired our bodies so that when you go to bed at night, all these amazing processes happen. And uh, from, I remember you, you shot me a text the other day from 10 to two is from 10 PM to 2 AM. Kind of that first part of sleep there's a heavy emphasis on slow wave sleep when growth hormone is released. And so your tissues get healed. Um, and then also we've, we've learned a lot about neuroplasticity that during that time, um, I'll talk about that in a second. But the first thing is, is restful and fulfilling sleep. If people can, our research at University of Kentucky with college athletes found that seven and a half to nine hours of sleep was the, was the golden window. Um, to put them in a position where they could adapt to stress. Because here's the issue, is people stop feeling well when they are no longer able to adapt to stress. Uh, psychological stress, physical stress, uh, it's really psychophysiological that they're mixed together. And so 
our adaptive mechanism is rest. And one of the best times, there's two really types of rest. You have sleep and non-sleep rest. So during sleep, a whole host of things happen for, me, for your brain, for hormones, all this kind of stuff. And then non-sleep rest are like short naps and periods of time where you're just not engaged in super intense material. Maybe you're doing mundane tasks, you're just taking a walk, your brain can just kind of space out. Because that's when neuroplastic changes occur. So if you want to learn a new skill, a lot of people during COVID are trying to learn, right? They want to pick up a language or learn how to do this, you know, whatever it is. There's two things that really have to happen. You have to have very concentrated times of intense work focused on whatever it is. So you want to learn how to podcast, like, okay, how do I set up my camera? And there's this frustration, right? And this anxiety that occurs that's really good because there's a neurochemical that's released called acetylcholine. When that happens, it marks these neurons in your brain for plastic changes or for change later when you go to sleep. So when you go to sleep, during slow wave sleep, that's when these neurological connections are strengthened. Okay. So the first thing is sleep. It is it is hardwired into you. The second thing is, is like regular doses of exercise. It doesn't have to be anything like totally nuts, just 20, 30 minutes a day of moving around. And um, I've been working with my sister. We're about to release a program. My sister has a really successful company called Deliciously Organic. And she's, she's got like 50 something thousand followers on Instagram, massive following across different social media platforms, but she uh, specifically helps women with like adrenal and thyroid issues. It's a massive problem, very underserved group though, from an exercise standpoint. So we put out, we, I came up with 18 months of programs specifically for these women because of their autonomic issues. So we tested it with a small group and the results have been off the charts because a lot of these women will go do like hit training or CrossFit and be, will crush themselves because they can't recover. So we flipped it to the opposite end of the spectrum and they just do light rhythmic activities. And the, the testimonies coming back about how they feel just, it's, 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 it's heartwarming. And so you got to get in a rhythm of daily exercise. Maybe you like to walk, maybe you like to do yoga. Maybe you're just going to, Maybe your daily win is I'm going to do 20 minutes of stretching. Just do something. And then nutrition, like the, the, the link between your gut and your brain, we're more learning more and more about that every single day. It's called the gut-brain axis. There's a direct neurological and, um, connection between your gut and your brain. So if you're eating crappy food, this is not going to be working very well. And so you need to be eating things that are nutritious. And I, what I don't want to do is cause paranoia that I can't go out and have ice cream every once in a while, or I can't go, you know, have a hamburger or whatever, but 80 to 90% of the time, you should be eating things that are nutritious, whole foods, plant, you know, vegetables, fruits, healthy fats. I'm not going to endorse a specific type of diet, but just nutritious foods to heal your gut, because that will also help your brain. Um, I'm about to, put out a post here that'll go up in like three or four weeks. And there was a groundbreaking study done on for a neuroimaging study. And it was uh, released in the journals of the journal of uh, Alzheimer's disease. And they found that being overweight or obese, higher BMI reduces blood flow to your brain. 
and uh, they're finding that Alzheimer's disease is a lifestyle disease. That it's like the biggest breakthrough in a decade. Yeah. And um, the interesting thing is at the end, the one of the authors comments and he says, the good news is like, we know that the brain can heal itself. And so if you put it in the proper environment with regular exercise, restful and fulfilling sleep, good diet, you can literally like heal your brain. And so the power is really within yourself to set the conditions for success. I can I also throw in meditation. I think I don't know. Do you use meditation at all? I haven't. I'm definitely not opposed to it. Um, you know, it, it depends on how we define meditation. I think there's obviously times where I'm completely zoned out on a yeah. run, not a run, but a I don't run um, training <laughs> session or walk or whatever else. You know. Yeah. Um. So Dr. Peter Haberl, he spoke on my podcast. He, I heard him, he's the, uh, one of the senior sports psychologists at the U.S. Olympic Committee. He's an Austrian, was a great hockey player. And I was at this high-performance symposium. They brought in, I think it was 60 or 80, the top high-performance specialists in the world from all different countries. And Peter spoke and completely mesmerized everybody. This is about five years ago. And he talked about attention is the currency of performance. It doesn't matter if you're an athlete or if you're a stay-at-home mom or if you're working as an entrepreneur. You want to put your attention where you want it when you want it there. So there's nothing worse than trying to do something you're constantly distracted. And so what you want to be able to do is to, to become aware when your brain has drifted off into outer space. And then, okay, I'm aware that I'm totally off track now and I can bring it back and place my attention, pardon me, where I want it. That's mindfulness. When I first started hearing about mindfulness about 2011, I thought it was, you know, very spiritual, Eastern, you have to meditate and levitate off the ground and you know, all that stuff. And that's not the case. Um, essentially, you're training yourself to... Um, put your attention where you want it, when you want it. And there are a whole host of benefits from stress reduction, uh, performance. We actually did a, a study. Uh, we collaborated with Headspace at Kentucky. I don't know if you know this. I didn't know this. And um, Chris Morris was like, Eric, I really think we should do this. Dr. Chris Morris is now the head of performance science at Kentucky. And uh, we looked at cortisol levels which is a stress hormone. And we looked at what the, what happened after somebody meditated for a certain period of time. So Headspace gave a lot of our athletes free apps and the guys came in, they did a couple cortisol tests and then they did it, you know, after, I don't know, I think it was eight weeks of meditation because something was fascinating. So if you're stressed out and anxious all the time, your body's going to have a really hard time coping with stress and you're going to have a really hard time if you're an athlete putting on muscle. Because here's what happens when you undergo stress. Your body goes into a state of fight or flight. Um, it's in an alarm stage. It's like, okay, I got to deal with whatever the threat is. So your body mobilizes protein to address the issue. 
So if you are stressed out all the time, you're no longer able to mobilize as much protein for protein synthesis for your muscles. So we had this one athlete that just could not put on weight. He meditates for eight weeks and then I think he puts on 12 pounds. And, uh, you know, sometimes you're like, man, I wrote this amazing program and this guy's not, you know, it's not always, the solution is not always what you think it is. And so you have to look at things from what's called a complex system approach. Um, there's all these things that are working together and interacting. And sometimes you don't even know what they are. And if you look at things from a reductionist approach, or like everything is just like this one narrow thing, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss maybe what the solution is. And so mindfulness is, um, it's very powerful and I highly recommend everybody do it. I feel like we, avoid a lot of stress that is probably good for us. Um, and we impart all these stresses on us that are not actually helping us. Mm. And mindfulness may be a good way to address that. Do you, do you find that as you started practicing that, that you, when you are just trying to get work done and like grind that your that your mental focus is more there that you're able to like call on that under more control? Yes, I find I, I will notice when I'm drifting. And then I do what's called a micro meditation. I don't know if that's a thing. It's just my thing. So I was actually recently doing some work with some military groups. And I was talking to a cognitive psychologist with one of these um, special forces groups. I said, when somebody's undergoing, when they're in pain, what do you tell them to do? Like, what's your go-to thing? And she said, breathe in through your nose, you know, out through your mouth. And I tell them to try to feel the air moving through your nostrils and almost like rushing past the hairs in your nose, like that type of focus. And so when I feel myself drifting, I'll close my eyes and take three breaths and I'll, I'll bring my awareness to that sensation. And it's like, mm -hmm, brings me back. And then I go right back to work. The, the issue is, were you, were you trained to know that you were drifting. And that's where mindfulness, it's hard, man. Try sitting there for 10 minutes and just focusing on your breathing. Your mind goes, it's okay. The whole idea is to go, okay, I was thinking, back to the breath. Oh, I was feeling this sensation, back to the breath. And uh, yeah, so it's helped me a lot. It's, I mean, with, a large percentage of the world working from home right now and maybe less micromanaging, which is probably in most cases a good thing. Um, but there's this element of you have the entire day to get stuff done and you're sitting in front of a computer. I'm, I'm dealing with this working from home almost every day right now. So many things you can be doing and there, it's a constant, it, it almost requires more energy to just, keep yourself focused. You know, I'm like putting implementing things in place. Like it's like extra effort to put things in place to keep myself to make sure that I can go hours straight without stopping. Yes. Do you have anything? So, so we've got some mindfulness, some, some breathing. Um, what else do you do? Cause I know you're going through the same thing. You're home. Like what else do you do during the day? Like if you start to notice yourself go, well, I think it starts with where you begin the day. So 
um, the first thing I do is when I wake up in the morning, I spend time in prayer. And that really helps me focus on what's important. And then I write a to-do list. I, I go down, I'm like, all right, these are all the things I have to get done today. And I make that list. And there's this sense of accomplishment of checking those things off. And it keeps me focused. All right, Eric, you, okay. Can't get distracted right now. You have to get back to doing this. Because if you don't do this, you didn't win the day. And um, there's an opposite effect though. When COVID first started, I was hyper anxious because I felt like I wasn't doing enough. And I had this sense of anxiety all the time. And so there's a guy named, um, oh gosh, Darren. Oh, I can't believe I'm blanking on his name. He's one of our PLS scholars and he's great. He's on LinkedIn. That's some great stuff. And he, and he has these just three wins for the day. He puts it on a postcard and it's like, Faith, family, work. What are the three things I got done today? Um, or it's health, family, work. And it's just putting in a good day's work and making sure that you got done what you needed to get done. So for William and Mary, I, I know I'm not cheating them of any of their, you know, I have these things that I have to get done and I, I got to get those things done. Boom, 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 boom. I can go down that list. Later there, you know, I got some personal things I want to work on, right? And just having this list every day that I go through and then structure my day so I'm not working 12 hours a day. Um, and there's times we have to work really, really, really hard, and that is okay. But I like to get up early. I like to get certain things done so that I can work out, you know, around lunchtime. I, I do intermittent fasting, so I'll, I'll work out right before that window's over. And then I will, no shame, take a 15-minute nap. That's another thing that I do. Um, and boy, does it make a big difference. Uh, actually, what time one of my, in the day is this nap? So you don't want to nap too, you don't want to take a nap too late in the afternoon because then it'll mess up your sleep cycle for that night. And so there's a circadian trough during the day when your, your cognitive awareness starts to just dip. Okay. It's a natural rhythm. And so when this trough happens, everybody kind of feels it differently. But usually for me, it's around one to two o'clock. And so what I do is I take a 15 minute nap and uh, I just set my alarm and I just, man, it, it does so much for me. It brightens my mood. I'm more aware. Research demonstrates that you're more productive. And so, you know, there's countries around the world that figured this out a long time ago. They call it a siesta. And uh, some people, you know, they got to get up in the morning, they got to work and you have lunch and then you're like, oh, I'm a little heavy. Just close your eyes for 20 minutes and then you'll just crush the rest of the day. You'll be more productive. Um, when I was with the Houston Texans, we partnered with uh, a, one of these mattress companies and I go into their building. I'm meeting with um, some of their senior executives and they have nap rooms, like these amazing soundproof nap rooms. And they're like, our people are just more productive. And so there's this shame in the American culture of rest. Um, I'm going to do a post on honoring your day off. So in the Judeo-Christian religion, you know, there's a Sabbath day of Sunday. And a friend of mine did this sermon once. And there's this uh, magazine for the New York Times. And there's this lady who was Jewish, but she really wasn't a practicing Jew anymore. But she remembered as a kid, they'd had, you know, the Sabbath day, which was Saturday, and they just took the day off. 
Well, she started realizing that the things that she would do on her quote day off, they were supposed to be restful, were actually causing her more stress. And I think we have totally lost the idea that it, it is okay to have a day, whether you're, you have a faith or not, that you just rest. And so Sunday for me, I try, if I had to work late on Saturday night to get everything done for the week, and then Sunday, it's just like nothing, you know, I wake up now we're doing church at home, you know, and then we'll just hang out with the family. We'll take naps, I'll read a book, we'll go play outside. And I'm really disciplining myself that I am not going to work on that day. And um, that is another thing that I think is just killing people, literally, because then it becomes this seven day a week stress cycle. And if you want to, go ahead. ahead. No, I was going to say, I think it's seven days a week at 50% instead of, you know, six days a week at a hundred and then zero on the other days or five days. That's a really wise statement. I feel, you know, being like half in half out, you never relax your mind. Do you feel like that day off like programs you to be more focused on the other days? Yeah. And I actually have some of my best ideas on those days. So I like to read, uh, on those days. And, um, and so I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll try to get a couple chapters in and then all of a sudden these ideas will just start flooding in and I'll just put them in my, my, uh, phone and just leave them be. But, um, yeah, the brain just gets to relax. I mean, you need it. We'll go do stuff that we find enjoyable. It's hard now because of COVID because you can't really go anywhere. But I can only imagine having started to make this, um, a more disciplined part of my life and a regular rhythm that when we can do stuff as a family, like go to go out to different places, that it'll be even more fun. But, um, uh, that's part of, if you want to be, if you want to adapt to stress and you want to be able to handle more, it's not about handling less. It's about being able to do more and it doesn't cost you as much. And the process is stress. You have to take on stress. Can't run from it. You got to take it head on the appropriate amount, and you have to rest. It's really simple. If you don't, you will get sick. And eventually, if it's too strong, the you'll die. I mean, Hans Selye demonstrated that a long time ago. Do you think that putting certain stress on us from a, you know, I guess a, a better form of stress, training, I don't know if, you know, cold immersion, things like that, help you be more adaptive to work stress, business stress, life stress? So recovery modalities, let's just talk about athletes for a second. I think that we overdo recovery. Same. Um, You want your body to learn how to handle stress and then you use those tools. And I've made this mistake, admittedly, you use those tools when you need them. Okay. So during a training camp, I would rather have guys not getting cold tubs every day, let their bodies for 14 to 20 days, just deal with this. And if you've built up appropriately and you don't just microwave these guys, as soon as they get there, they shouldn't feel totally destroyed. That is a totally self-imposed problem that we could talk about another day. Um, but, um, there are some things that I do think are very beneficial that people should be doing on a regular rhythm. If you can afford it, 
And one of them is uh, sensory deprivation. Mm. So float tanks. Um, when I was at the Texans, we did over 200 floats with our athletes. And I really was able to start looking at the, you remember the Omega wave? Mm-hmm. So DC potential with the brain represents how all the subsystems in the body are coordinating themselves to solve problems. Okay. When you, and when you get in a float tank, what happens is, is if you do it right, you land a tank and because it's so saw you dense, it's like the dead, the dead sea, you're just floating. Right. So now you don't have the sensation of feeling. Then if there's no noise, now you can't hear and you take out light and you can't see. And so your brain literally can decompress. And there's a lot of amazing research that's being done at the AFRL, Ohio State University, looking at that and DC potential together and what's happening. You will literally see biological rhythms change when people get in the tank. Hmm. Heart rate variability increases, DC potential goes up over time. If, and so if somebody's really stressed out, I will try to get them at a float tank on a regular rhythm and you will see biological change happen. Hmm because it's one of the only ways to truly let your brain unplug. Now, if somebody's hyper vigilant and hyper stressed, you may have to work your way into the tank. Like we'll leave the, the, the tank open and we'll play some music. And then once they get comfortable with that over time, then you close the tank and have the music and then eventually you go completely dead silent. But uh, I, I know Joe Rogan like absolutely loves the float tank. And then I think another thing is his dry sauna, extreme heat is really, really good in the long run. There's a lot of great research. Um, I don't know if it's the Swedes. Yeah. I've, I've, I've seen article journal articles where just like all cause mortality goes down by regularly getting in, um, drier, hot sauna, 180 degrees or higher, at least 20 minutes. Cause one of the things people don't realize is, is when you start sweating and you sweat a lot, your blood volume decreases. When blood volume decreases, your heart has to beat faster to circulate less blood. So essentially, you're doing low-intensity cardiac training. And so there's that benefit for people that are maybe like, you know, really just hate exercising. Like get in a hot sauna for 25 to 30 minutes and just, you know, don't drink a ton of water. Don't pass out. I'm not, you know, but, you know, you will get your heart rate up and, um, I find tremendous benefits from that, but like the cold stuff, always doing, you know, the Norma tech boots and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Like there's just yeah. a couple things that should be part of your rhythm in my opinion. Yeah. I see it less as a recovery modality and more of a just exposure to something uncomfortable. So yeah. like I'll, I will purposely put any sort of cold immersion away from my workouts. Like I don't want to do it post-workout. I want to do it maybe first thing in the morning mm. to just like expose myself to something extremely uncomfortable. So do you do it with a shower? Or do you actually have a cold tub? So I live a couple minutes from the water, a couple minute walk from the ocean. Pacific ocean is pretty chilly. Um, so a lot of mornings I'll go down there. Sometimes it'll still be dark, go down and just submerge in the water for a minute, Ooh. come back up. It's chilly, but a, a lot of mornings just cold shower. Good. I like that. Yeah, there's some there's some people that have kind of built a I think there's somebody that's written a book about just the idea of this and kind of sitting in uncomfortable uncomfortableness, which I think is great. I mean, that's fine. But I think if people research is actually showing that it blunts adaptive responses. Yeah. And so you want 
the inflammatory process to take place. So I want to go back to sleep circling back there. What, so if someone came to you and said like, Eric, I want, I want to start sleeping better. I want to, I like, I, I need to optimize, but I'm just like, I try, I go to bed and I'm, I'm, I'm leaving myself nine hour window, but I'm not really getting quality sleep. Yeah. What do I do? That's a deep question because there's going to be a lot of things involved with this, but I would just say the first thing to do is just to create a good routine and to fix your sleep environment. So look at your room. Uh, is it cold at night? So 67 degrees or less helps with melatonin, which is a, is a hormone that makes you sleepy. So is your room cold? Is it dark? I mean, it's got to be like midnight dark, blackout curtains. Um, is it quiet? So having like a white noise machine, having a consistent tone actually helps people get to sleep. So is the environment, is the conditions okay in the room? Not too humid. Is your bed comfortable? If there's something you should invest in, it's really good sheets and bed. So once you check that box, then you go, okay, what am I doing before I go to bed? Am I in this state of arousal? Am I scrolling on my screen? So about an hour before you go to bed, you want to stop looking at your screens if you can. As a matter of fact, Dr. Andrew Huberman at Stanford just recently talked about how looking at light late at night actually drains dopamine. And actually looking at light early in the morning, especially when it's low on the horizon, actually increases dopamine levels, which actually dopamine is associated, well, dopamine helps with um, you being able to push forward in difficult circumstances. And so you don't want to see light, especially past 11 p.m. And there's a lot of people scrolling past 11 p.m. So cut it out. Turn the TV off in the room. You can't have that going on. So before you go to bed, so like maybe it's scents. Some people like lavender. That helps kind of calm them down. A warm bath or a warm shower. Just kind of bringing your day to a close. All right, I'm going to start turning the lights down in the house. Maybe I put the kids down to bed. We're going to turn the TV off. Maybe you like to read some passages, whatever, and just kind of start winding down. And then, like you said, you need to have a window dedicated to sleep. So seven and a half to nine hours of sleep, most people overestimate their sleep by about 30 minutes. So you really need eight to nine and a half. Now for me, eight hours is like good for me. So I need about eight and a half, eight hours and 20 minutes uh, of being in bed to get the amount of sleep that I need. So that's what I would do, you know, is, is your environment okay? And what's your routine leading up to going to bed? So cold, dark, quiet, get off screens if you can an hour before bed. Yes. And have and some sort of routine. Try to bring it down. Dial it back. You know what I'm saying? I hadn't heard anybody mention the, the actual dopamine. Everyone talks about melatonin, it, you know, screens before bed for preventing melatonin, but I haven't heard. Is this something where you have somewhat of a tank and you're, you're emptying it to a degree on things that maybe you shouldn't? I call it the dopamine tank. I don't know if that's a, the most scientific yeah. term, but uh, Huberman I don't know if you know Andrew Huberman. He yeah. runs yeah, amazing stuff, but he was discussing this and it makes total sense. Um, but yeah, like there's, you know, there's reserves for everything or the ability to, um, 
you know, like you can drain your adrenal systems, which when you need them, epinephrine, norepinephrine are released, which can allow you to get into a state of hyper-awareness and really focused agitation, which helps with neuroplasticity. And so his whole angle is how do we help the, the mind become more plastic to adapt to things that we want it to adapt to. And dopamine is really part and part of that process. And so, yeah, I, I've been calling it the dopamine take. That was just my dumbed down version. But yeah, you're right. Um, it's amazing. So I have a friend who, a uh, really cool guy, and he called me. Uh, we had this, this is like several weeks ago, four weeks ago. And I'm like, where are you? And there's like this expanse behind him. And he's like, I'm in my ranch out in the West Texas area. And he's like, there is zero light pollution out here. I'm like, really? He's like, you can see this, like everything. And he actually has like this massive, like mini observatory. He can look at the stars and everything. But we are polluted by light. And, um, you know, one of my goals would be to have a place that's kind of off the reservation to go just like, I love backpacking. Yeah. And you go out like that for like seven days and you are just calm. And you come back into this noisy world that we live in and that we expose ourselves to this noise and just pollution of information all the time. And it just drains you. Yeah. I think, I think this sleep topic is a, probably one of the most valuable things people can take from this. If you, if you do one thing from this discussion, like optimize your sleep. And so I'm glad we, we got to hit on that. I want to obviously be respectful of your time. We're coming up on an hour here, but I, I texted you in closing. Um, I texted you when I first wanted to see if you were up for doing a podcast, but to, to reiterate the idea of this whole thing, you know, I'm calling it momentum. Um, because I, like I think, you know, which we've already hit on a few times. It's like, everybody wants more from their life. Like they, they want to be in better shape. They want to be further along in their career. They want to start a business and it requires, I'm not going to get into the psychology. I think there's probably a lot of reasons why people might not be doing the things that they should be doing or think that they should be doing. But I know from a, I'm a pretty practical guy. And the only practical thing that I can think that'll overcome a lot of these roadblocks is just momentum like get one thing done and then move to the next and then move to the next and like get that going because it, it is i mean we both come from the football world momentum's a real thing and uh so and you I can wanna, lose it yeah. and you can regain it and i think that uh i think that is a brilliant idea when's the book coming out <laughs> 20 2022 we'll call it all right it. i don't know but but i want to hear from you like how do you go about doing that? Because you've made a huge transition like, mm. and you're full on, you're consistent, but you had to like, what is your, your practical steps for building and maintaining momentum? Great question. You have to have a why. You have to have a really strong why and a reason you're doing what you're doing because it is going to get difficult at some point. And if you can't go back to that, you're screwed um, because motivation is going to be high one day and low the next. And if you have a strong why and a strong reason, and I think if it's not focused on you, it's even better. So I'm a husband. I have three kids now 
And so it's really easy for me to stay motivated to work hard for my day job because I need to provide for my family. But then when you try to do something extra that's hard and that's difficult, you got to have a really strong why, and then you got to get some early wins. Um, there's not that, you know, I mean, I'm just to be honest, like you got to get some early wins. Yeah. You got to make that first podcast, you know, maybe get a hundred people to, to download it. Maybe you have uh, whatever it is, try to get some early wins. And then you just got to be, you have to have some stick to itness. Like you're just going to be, you know what? Screw it. My head's down. I'm working hard. And then I say adaptable because you may not have, it's iterating. The faster you can iterate on the problem, like you may go, okay, this is what I'm doing. And then you realize like, wait a second, I'm not serving people to the highest degree. They want this. I'm going to iterate over here, but you're still, guess what? You're still moving forward. You're still moving forward. And so to get that momentum, you know, you got to have a why. You got to have some just dogged determination and you got to be willing to iterate and say, you know what? I don't have the answer, but I'm going to go find it no matter what. Love it. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, for the, uh, you know, quarter of a million listeners you're going to have on this podcast, (laughs) tell them where they can find you. Uh, They can find me at at Eric Corum on Instagram, E-R-I-K-K-O-R-E-M on LinkedIn on Twitter. And then, uh, the blueprint podcast is the podcast that I've started, but, um, man, Steven, it's really cool to see where you're at now, uh, what you're doing. I'm really excited for you. You're going to do great. This you're a great interview. Uh, you do a really good job of, of listening and asking really insightful questions. Cause it's 5.00 AM or it's 6.00 AM where you are now. And so you are dark behind me. Yeah. But uh, I'm excited for you. You're going to do some really great stuff. Thank you. I'm excited. I'm, uh, I appreciate it. And I'm excited for you as well. It's, it's going to be cool to watch. I'll be paying attention. And that wraps up my interview with Eric Corum. If you made it this far, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, I definitely don't take for granted the fact that there are a lot of podcasts you could be listening to. So if you spent an hour or so uh, with me and Eric Corum in your ear, I'm very thankful Um, Eric is a wealth of knowledge and even if you could just take some of what he was discussing around sleep and best practices there, it'll make a dramatic impact in the quality of your life and and what you're able to do from an output perspective during the time that you're awake. We know that small changes applied consistently over time lead to big results and will have a major impact in your life. And that's what we're all chasing here. We all want to maximize our life, the abilities that we have, what we've been given. And that's what I'm setting out to do with this podcast. I promise to keep on delivering the best people that I can, the best people that I have access to. And if that's helpful to you, or if this podcast was helpful to you, it would mean a ton to me if you would leave a review in iTunes. I know it seems trivial, Um, But especially in the early days, every single review goes a long way, especially when you're trying to approach the new and noteworthy section in iTunes. So obviously only if you think that this podcast was worth a review. That's it though for today, and I will see you on the next one.